So those of you who are looking at your bulletin might have noticed that um, there are a lot of women on this bulletin today. Toni Morrison and Lucille Clifton and Fanny Mendelssohn. And um, there's also more than the usual number, I'm sad to say more than the usual number, of black people in the bulletin as well. Besides me, <laughs> uh, there's also Langston Hughes. Now, I'm not here to beat us over the head with all the things we know we need to do better. Um, but we've just passed out of Black History Month, although black history is all year. And we have just entered Women's History Month, although women's history is all the time. So when Frank gave me the opportunity to kind of decide how we would run this today, I thought it was really, really good if we kind of put that nexus of black people and women at the forefront. Because even though us as UUers probably are used to a little bit more equality in our services than most, we still have work to do, right? I just became a UUer officially, by the way. Um, I just joined my church in New York, also Unitarian. And I have never been a member at a church that I've sung at before. I've been a professional musician in churches since I was 11. My father is a preacher, so I've been singing in church since I was a soprano. <laughs> um, and uh, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite colleagues is one of your uh, members as well, Neil Ferreira, and he knows usually we'll sing in church and then we go home because it's work. But it's, it's a rare treat to get to sing at the church that you worship. And I want to speak to y'all specifically as you viewers, since I am newly a member. And there are some things that we need to do better, but also there are some encouragement that I bring you. Because in these days, the times press down on us. They crush us. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, even if you don't realize it, the things that are happening in the world to mostly the least privileged among us, but also they're happening in the world, so they're in the air. And yes, there is a time for saying, you need to do this, you need to go here, you need to do this better, you need to fight, you need to march, you need to riot, you need to do these things. You do need to do these things. As MLK said, a riot is the voice of the unheard. But at the same time, there is a space for comfort, a space for the clarity that taking time to breathe in each other's arms brings. That is why I have brought to you not only the words of black women, but spirituals, which is the tradition that we all come from. I grew up hearing Lucille Clifton and Toni Morrison um, and Langston Hughes, and I grew up singing spirituals. And the thing about spirituals and the thing about the black church that a lot of people don't understand, um, and the thing that I want to bring and share with you today, is that spirituals are audible resilience. Audible resilience. They are the fight for freedom made song. 
And it's, it, that's, a, that's a strange uh, kind of pairing because when we think of struggle, when we think of fighting, we think of hard things. We think of the over, over, over large military budget that this country has. We think of drones and planes and bombs and guns. But there is a way to fight that does not require you to lose your humanity. I'm going to say that again. There is a way to fight. There is a way to fight injustice that does not require us to become inhumane as well. We can keep our hearts soft and open, not only to each other, but to those who we often have to fight against. And when I was growing up, and especially when I was, you know, in my fiery 20s, you know, I'm the ripe old age of 35 right now. <laughs> and, um, but when I was in my fiery 20s and just starting to fully come to terms with the inequalities baked into this country's structure and countries across the globe, I spent a lot of time being angry. And there is a time for that. As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. A time for everything under the sun. The anger needs to happen. The righteous rage and fury needs to happen. But once you get to the other side of that, as Clifton says in her poem, Blessing the Boats, once you get from this to that, how do you go on living? Because one cannot live clenched tight like a fist. This is why I ask you to breathe with me when I sing spirituals, because when you are in your darkest moment, you go to a spiritual for comfort, but also because it makes you breathe. You have to breathe to live and you have to breathe to sing. Uh, Frank and I were talking earlier today and um, he was lovingly cautioning me um, to not take the fact that y'all tend to be on the quieter side as an offense. And I don't, I don't, I'm sorry to blow up your spot, but um, I don't take it as an offense. I understand that um, those of us uh, like me and my friends who are professionally loud often forget that most people don't spend their time making their voices heard. But I feel the warmth and the love that y'all have for each other. When you were putting those candles in there, I was struck by how comfortable y'all were with being vulnerable with each other. And that is all I need. I don't need loud reinforcement. But I do need you to take the first step towards being loud, eventually. <laughs> and that first step is just to breathe. I like to people watch often, and I live in Brooklyn, which is great for people watching. But even when I lived in Boston, you know, you find a cafe somewhere, and you just watch the people go by. And most of the time, you know, you see people, their, their shoulders are up somewhere near their ears, and they're hustling to where they have to go. And you can just see, they're not even breathing. They're barely gulping in the amount of air they need to live to get to work, to run to lunch the lunch hour that's too short, to run back to work, to run home, to get in the car for that horrible traffic for their commute. They're not breathing. When you're in times like these, and times like these are not normal, not at all. When you're in times like these, even if you don't think that these troubles are on your mind, they are in the air 
and they are on your spirit. And they slowly just crush you until you feel all of a sudden like you can't breathe because you haven't been breathing. Because it seems like every time we wake up, there's a new five things to worry about, to be angry about, to be sad about. So if there's one takeaway from anything that I do with you guys today, from anything that I say, give yourself the gift of breathing. Because if you do not breathe, you cannot speak out and you cannot sing. And all of those things are going to be necessary more and more going forward. Whatever happens at election day, whatever happens after, we will all, as people of faith, need to remember that our faith requires us to stand up and be counted. And to do that, we have to breathe. Now, the great gift of growing up in the tradition I grew up in is not just spirituals, but also to understand that there is a time for the letter, for this and such thing has to be done in this and such order, and there is a time to let the spirit move and move you. We, as Americans, are socialized to not speak out. We are socialized to freeze, to act like a herd. If we see something crazy happening, we are socialized and encouraged and chided to shut up. And again, I don't need y'all to be as loud as some churches I've been in. I don't need you to be as raucous. But I need you to speak with your actions, not just who you vote for, but also who you advocate for. Now, we are often scared to say words like racism, sexism, homophobia. Uh, one of my favorite words is actually a really, really, uh, it's a word for a horrible thing, but it was actually coined by a professor, uh, a black woman named Moya Bailey. She coined a word for the intersection of racism and sexism, which of course, because we're in between Black History Month and Women's Month, seems appropriate. That word for the special kind of bigotry that faces black women in particular is misogynoir. It's a beautiful word for a horrible thing. But that word, that creation by Moya Bailey, who of course as a black woman came out of this black tradition in some way, shape, or form, that is actually a really good example of the other thing I want to draw your attention to today which is that language, whether words or actions, because actions, of course, speak very loudly, language is our particularly fragile way to deal with what is happening to us. You stub your toe, you say, ow, oh my god, that hurts. You get hungry, you say, oh man, I really need a sandwich. When we feel those deep human urges, and one of those urges is to speak up, for our fellow men, women, and any kind of other out there. <laughs> Those urges need to be put into action, put into practice with your fragile words, but also your actions, right? What we do as creatures who think and speak is try to make order of all of the weird things that happen to us by naming them. 
When you listen to a song or a poem, it draws your attention to how fragile but how powerful our words are. And again, what do you need to do, excuse me, before you speak? You have to take a breath. You have to center yourself. You have to think, is this normal? Should this be happening to my brother or sister? Should this be happening to another person's child who could easily be my own? You take a breath, you center yourself in place, and then you speak, you act. So again, I say, church, make sure you always remember to breathe, no matter what comes in the coming days, weeks, and months. The last thing I want to leave you with was actually borrowed inspiration. Um, I got to be blessed by the presence of Angela Davis. Uh, she came and spoke at uh, Phillips Andover Academy, where I teach. And, um, you know, to me, growing up in a black household, two parents who are professors of, like, real black stuff, <laughs> um, surrounded by all of their really amazingly accomplished adult black friends, artists, musicians, historians, composers, editors, poets, just a constellation of people that I didn't really appreciate until later. I was just like, oh yeah, I know those people, that are whatever, you know, they're just old people that are around. But one of the things that I realized growing up in that intellectual ferment is that when you are involved in a movement or in a fight for social justice, it is important to remember to take the time to laugh and to love at the same time. Uh, what Angela said, she was talking about how she was, uh, you know, she was in jail with a few counts of pretty serious things against her. She had, she had more than one death sentence awaiting her. Uh, when she gave the speech, it was funny because, of course, the, the room was filled with mostly children. <laughs> so, so, so young. People born in the 2000s. What a weird ideal. Um, and uh, there were a few adults, you know, me and older. And so she said, you know, I was, I was one of the only women ever on the FBI most wanted list. And she said, you know, usually when I tell that to adults, you get more of a reaction. But kids are not even phased. They're just like, yeah, okay, that's cool, whatever, you know. <laughs> But, um, and so she, she was just telling them, in a, you know, telling them about her experiences in prison, and she said that people always asked her, how were you so brave in this incredibly difficult situation? Just hearing her talk about being in prison on death row was giving me, you know, the clammy palms and the flop sweats. Like, that's insane to think about. And she said to them, she said, you know, I wasn't brave. I was scared out of my damn mind. I can say that because the kids have already gone. Um, but she said what brought her back to herself and kind of anchored her was knowing the movement that was taking place out there in the real world to free Angela Davis. Because she said, even if it doesn't work, even if I go to what that time in California, the death penalty was the gas chamber. She said, I knew then that even if I still went to the gas chamber, that I wasn't alone. 
And to see this woman who I've grown up revering as this crusader just admit so easily that she was scared out of her mind, but also telling us what brought her back to her sense of center. It was community, even from afar. She also said that it was so important for her to keep her joy while fighting for all of these things, fighting for climate, uh, for climate justice, fighting for indigenous rights, fighting, fighting for women, fighting for black folk, fighting for LGBTQIA rights. She said, you know, even back in the Black Panther days, she's like, we, we partied, we drank sometimes a lot, and the next day was sometimes painful for us. Um, she said, we partied, we enjoyed ourselves, because you cannot fight if your strength is depleted by never breathing. It's like you're underwater and you never come up for air. So that again is why I brought y'all spirituals today. Because a spiritual, whether it is a balm in Gilead, which expressly talks in the text about there being a remedy, a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole, a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul, whether the thing that weighs your soul down is your own sin sickness or the sin sickness of the world or all at once, there is a balm for you. And I want to make sure that you take the time to breathe, to remember that. You deserve that comfort because we are all human beings on this planet together. We're all trapped in the same game. We're all in the same fishbowl. We all need to come up for air and breathe. Amen.